Good morning again. Welcome home, family. So glad to see everyone here this morning worshiping with us. We are continuing our Advent series where we're focusing on the birth of Jesus Christ, and we'll be talking about peace this morning, and we'll be in Romans chapter 5. If you want to flip there in your Bibles and be prepared, uh, or if you, if you don't have a Bible, it's going to be on the screen when we get there, or if you prefer paper in front of you, uh, in front of you under the chairs there are some Bibles, and on page 886 you'll find Romans 5, and if you want to flip there and be prepared for that. But before we dive in to going to the Word of God, let's go to Him in prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for this day in which we can come before you as your people, worshiping you through prayer and through song and through sitting under your Word. Lord, we love you. We're in all of you. In all that you have done for us for our salvation, for all that you have done for us for our life. Lord, we just pray for this time as we look upon you and the great love you have for us and what you have done for us through sending your Son, that we can once again be reminded of this great salvation we have. I pray for everyone here that whether things are going on in this life, that things that could distract us or pull us away from truly appreciating and focusing on you, those can maybe be dimmed for a little bit as we focus again on you, and then when we leave here, those things can be put in the right perspective. Because we know you, and we know your love. Lord, I just pray for everyone who calls River Valley home that they can go to you for comfort, for peace, for all their hope. That they can come to this community for support and love. They can truly know what it means to be part of the church here. Lord, let us serve you, let us worship you well as you have guided us and directed us. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So in 1914, right in the middle of World War I, trench warfare, it's at its height, a truce broke out, seemingly spontaneous on Christmas Eve. Stories kind of tell different stories, but it started out with maybe each side starting singing Christmas carols. You hear some Christmas carols in German, all of a sudden the Englishmen and the Frenchmen started singing Christmas carols on there. And it kind of back and forth happened until someone, we don't know who, stood up out of the trench and approached. This Christmas truce is kind of amazing fact that happened in this uh, over 100,000 soldiers in Belgium and France in, in these contested lines stood up and for Christmas Eve and for Christmas approached their enemies, singing songs, exchanging gifts. Some people even say playing soccer in the middle of no man's land amidst the war-torn environment. It's an amazing thing to think about it's an amazing thing that only can come from actually Christendom, that these people had shared traditions of who Christ was, and so they could understand that maybe they should take a time out of trying to kill one another and remember what is important. But it didn't last. The day after Christmas, they were back to shooting, dropping bombs, and trying to win the war. 
But this points to something that we look at that and we say, isn't that right, this Christmas truce? And is it, we desire peace. We think this is what happens when we follow Christ, that we get this peace that kind of transcends these war, wars in this world. And, and we think this is the season, right? Everyone, everyone says it, peace on earth. Even people who don't believe in Christ during the Christmas season will gladly send you a card that says peace on earth because everyone wants and desires this peace, place. You ask any beauty pageant what they want for the world and they'll probably say world peace because we desire it, we know this is right. But this peace that happened in World War I and the peace that happens here and there in, these, in our political struggles they're just temporary. They don't last. But it's right when we think about peace on earth during the season because Jesus does come to bring peace, a far greater peace than we could possibly imagine. And we see what peace Jesus brings when we look in Romans chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Romans chapter 5. We'll just be in the first two verses this morning. It's on the screen behind me um, if you don't have, your, have, a, have a Bible. It says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and which we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Jesus provides our peace. When we read the, the, the stories around, that we read around Christmas, just like what we read, uh, that Bruce read, uh, provides our peace. He said he actually was destined to bring our peace. And here Paul is outlining just what sort of peace does Jesus provide us. He provides us peace with God. Jesus provides our peace. Last week we talked about how Jesus provides our hope, and now we're just talking about how he actually brings us peace. Jesus provides our peace. Because the fact of the matter is, humanity without Christ has no peace. Humanity, which does not know Jesus Christ, does not have any peace at all. This is a testimony of the Bible. It's a testimony of Romans. When you think about the story, of the, the whole story of the Bible, we see this being true. For humanity was made to have peace with God, to have a relation with God. In the garden, Adam and Eve were made to have this open relationship where God would come and walk with them. He would talk with them. They knew him. It was how they were wired. Total satisfaction, total peace in knowing who God was and his love. But sin came when Eve and Adam rebelled against God and fractured that relationship. So much so that from then on, humanity was looking for peace. They were fleeing from God. God was pursuing them, showing them that he could give them peace if, he come, if they come to know humanity lacking peace and God pursuing them to give it back to them. 
And we see this story writ large again when we read the, whole, the book of Romans, the context of which we find Romans 5. We see this in the very first chapter where it's talking about humanity decided, hey, I'm not going to worship the creator. Rather, I'm going to worship the creation. And they started putting their faith in the idols they could build, and God gave them over into their, their, their lusts and for, into sin, and they reaped the rewards of that. And when we read Romans uh, chapter 3, we see the testimony of the Bible as it quotes from Psalms and quotes from the Old Testament, just the, the lack of peace that humanity had. It talks about how there's no one righteous, not, no, uh, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is the testimony of humanity without Christ. There is no peace for us without Christ. Uh, the sin entered when Adam and Eve rebelled. Humanity has actually been at war with God. Humanity is seeking to dethrone God from his rightful place of worship and put themselves in his stead. That all humans do this in various ways. They disregard God. They don't want to look for God. They don't desire God to speak truth in their lives. Rather, they follow their own heart. They follow their own desires. They follow the God of their stomach and just do what pleases them. Humanity is at war with God because they dethroned him and said, I am now my own God. That's the state of humanity. There's this myth I think a lot of people carry around about human beings. Ah, that is basically good, right? There's this myth of neutrality. That, yeah, there's some people who follow God, but the rest of the people are kind of just neutral. And then you got the really bad ones, you know, like Hitler or the people like that. But then everyone else is just kind of neutral. But that's not the testimony of the Bible. There's no neutrality. You're either with God, knowing God, serving God, loving God, knowing how he saved you by grace, or you are opposed to God, seeking to dethrone him and do your own thing. There's a myth of neutrality. I even just saw a video today that I almost could not stand watching as a Roman Catholic was debating a, a Mormon and the Mormon was making a point about, well, do you think God is just going to be, you know, send his people to hell? Mark, it's not about what church you attend. It's about what you believe to be true about Jesus Christ. And so he missed the mark totally. He, thinking, he was thinking almost this, this myth of being neutral, that all humanity was just, you know, kind of going to be loved by God. And it's just a mistake if you go to the wrong institution. No, it's a mistake if you don't truly understand the truth of who Jesus Christ is. But we see this in our life. Just open your eyes and look around the world and you see an angst that a society, people have because they don't have a peace. You see an anxiety, a stressing about little things, big things. Not being relaxed because they have no peace with God and that leaks out and there's an angst about life. There's a lack of peace. It's all because of that sin that has separated us from our God. 
It's really, you could argue, as, as uh, I think C.S. Lewis said, it's almost the only empirically uh, defined doctrine of the Christian faith is that we can look and we can see sin happening around us that breaks relationships, hurts people, separates people from the truth. And we see that. There's an angst that people have because they don't have peace if they don't have Christ. Which means people are looking for peace. This peace that they know they should have, they long to experience, but they just can't find it. We can even put it under different categories, but I think at heart it is peace. We put it under different categories because humanity is looking for that contentment, and that satisfaction, but they just can't find it. The great scholars of our age, or other people's age, like the Rowan Stones, make it very clear. I just can't get no satisfaction. I try, and I try, but I can't get no. I think those are the words. As I said, it's a scholar of a different age, the way be gone there. But you just look, and now chances are you see song after song of our secular age in our secular society is expressing the exact same angst. I'm looking for something. I'm trying to fill it with my life with something. It does not give me the peace I'm looking for. Blaise Pascal, an old French uh, um, philosopher, he expressed it like this, talking about humanity. He says, this, he, humanity, tries to in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help that he cannot find in those that are, though none can help. Since the infinite abyss can only be filled with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God himself. Abyss of a lack of peace with all these things, and they can't do it. They try with good things even, but they cannot do it. Maybe they try with work and say, man, I invest my whole life in work and I climb that ladder and I reach the tops. Maybe that will give me the peace about life that I'm searching for, but they find at the end of that, there is no peace in that. Maybe they say, maybe in my possessions, if I own everything, if I look around and say, oh, my neighbor has that, I should have that too, that would give me peace. But they find no peace when they gather all they can around them. Maybe they look at their family, which is a good thing, and say, in my family, I'll invest my whole life. I'll give it all to them. In my family, they'll provide me that peace I'm looking for. But even in the end, family cannot satisfy what we need. They look to maybe even big acts of service and say, if I'm just a good person and I serve greatly in my community and the people around me, that will give me peace. But even then, while maybe it gives you a, a temporary satisfaction, it's a good thing to do, it does not bring that ultimate peace that we're looking for. Maybe people will look for in social media and followers and fame or anything that people like me and they click that button and they, ooh, that feels good. But it does not give that ultimate peace that we desire and we need because only Jesus provides our, our peace. That we go to him and we know him. And the fact of the matter is Jesus was born for our peace. That's what we remember around Christmas time. But it's a testimony of the Bible. When you start reading the context of how Jesus came and who he was, and we see from the very get-go, he was, he was born to give us peace. 
You can even go right back, way to the beginning. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, in the middle of the curses bestowed upon humanity for going astray from God, rebelling against him, God gives a hope. He says, hey, to you, woman, there will be born a son, and he's going to trod the servant's head under his foot as the servant bruises him. And there's a, there's a, 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 a sense of a peace that's coming here, that he's going to set things right, that the thing that was broken here is going to put a right as the enemy is destroyed. We should read again and again this hope that is presented to the people of God that there is going to be coming one who's going to give you this peace you're looking for. When we get to the, the prophet Isaiah, we see this expressed uh, blatantly that this one, this person is coming to give us peace. We see in Isaiah 9, 6, a verse that's read so often around this time of year. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Every verse 6, talking about the suffering servant who's going to come, who's actually that same child who's been born to be the Prince of Peace, talks about how he's going to take our sins upon himself. He's going to provide us that peace. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was his chastity chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. We see this again and again that Jesus was born to bring us peace. And so when we get to Luke chapter 14, when the angels appear before the shepherds, what do they declare? What is their song of worship? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. That Jesus was born to bring us Peace. Jesus even said that to his disciples in John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Let, let, neither let them be afraid. That Jesus gives us peace. It's what he was born to do. And what is this peace that we have? Fundamentally, at its heart, is a peace greater than we possibly can imagine, as Romans chapter 5 there says, says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The humanity going its own way, astray like sheep. Rebels against the righteous God, the King of the universe, go, doing his own thing, dethroning him. Now Jesus comes and what does he do? He brings us peace. He writes that relationship. Where there was no peace, now Jesus brings us. Why? Because he heals our relationship with God. He brings us back to God and we can have peace. Why? Because he saves us takes care of those, those obstacles of sin, those barriers that keep us from having a relationship with God, and he brings us this peace that we need. This is a greater peace than we can possibly understand. It's a greater peace than this temporary truce between political parties or between warring nations or between anything like that. This is a peace that goes down to the root of who we are and what we need. A peace that starts settling and fixing and bringing back together the, the broken relationship with God that has caused all this angst and anxiety in the world. Jesus brings this peace. But why is fun at one point so much greater than we possibly can understand is actually more limited than what is peace on earth with whom he is well pleased. 
Jesus brings peace, not to the whole world, but he brings peace to his people. It's the same thing that Paul says in Romans chapter 5, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, talking about Christians, us, who believe in Jesus Christ, we have faith and therefore we're made right, justified because of him. We have faith. What do we get? We have peace with God. That Jesus comes to bring us peace, but he comes to bring his people, those who confess him, those who know him, those who have faith in him, those who have been justified by faith through him, they are the ones who receive this peace he brings the peace we need, the peace we're longing for, the peace that makes us right with God. Jesus provides our peace. And he truly does. This is not just something we say on Christmas. This is not just something that we remember during this time. It's the fundamental fact of the, of the gospel is that Jesus provides and truly gives us peace. It's how he saves us how he brings us back to God, that he does everything required for our salvation, that through his life and through his death and through his resurrection and through his ascension, we know and we know we stand in light of his righteousness and we know that he is interceding for us day by day, that when God looks upon us, what does he see? He sees his son first, that we're one of his and that he knows us as one of his and he loves us just as much as he loves his son. That when we're going through life, if we ever think that God is angry with us, we know confidently that Jesus is sitting right by him saying, he's one of mine. You love him as you love me. And we know this truth, and because we know that the glorious truth of this gospel, we have peace. Not just a peace with God, which is the beginning of all peace, but a peace that now gets bigger and bigger than that. It's why Paul and uh, Ephesians can describe the gospel as the gospel of peace because it starts with us having peace with God and then starts kind of growing and bigger as we see life through that understanding of who we are in God and in Christ. We can have peace in all circumstances. We can have peace no matter what life throws at us. We have peace because why, as Romans uh, chapter 5 says, that through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. That because of Jesus being born for us, living for us, dying for us, through him we can actually go to God. We've done it so many times this morning. When we pray and say, Heavenly Father, we only can do that because of Jesus Christ. Because we obtain access through him. And we actually can pray directly to God the Father because of Jesus. Which is why we so often end our prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. Because we know this to be true, that we have attained access. We can talk to our, our Father in heaven because of him. And just think about that amazing fact that we can speak to God and he hears us and he loves us and he responds to us. How peace-filling is that? That should bring a sense of peacefulness to our lives that we know we can talk to God, we've attained access to him. That's what Paul elsewhere describes this, this peace as a peace that transcends all understanding. In Philippians 4, 7, 
that we know who God is and we know his love and we know what the Son has done for us, that we now obtain access and now we have a peace of God which will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And it transcends all understanding. Meaning that when the world looks at you and you say, things are going crazy, but you can still have a peace that reminds you to look beyond the present circumstances and know his love, this transcends human understanding. That a human understanding would say, you should be panicking. You should be running around with a chicken, like a chicken with his head cut off. But a Christian who knows the truth of God and his love has a peace that guards you and grounds you. That when we remember this, we can have a peace as we remember who God sees us or how God sees us and how he loves us. It's the same logic when we remember that God who has saved us would not now abandon us. The God who has saved us and has sent his son for us would not now give, not give us something we need. That this God who has done this, who has arranged history, who has arranged you to be where you can hear the gospel and receive and know the truth, this God who loves you to that extent, who has sent his son to die for you, will not also now pull up short and say, the rest is on you. And we have peace of this loving God who once he begins a good work, he's going to bring it to completion. And we have this peace knowing God is there giving us everything we need moment by moment, day by day. Jesus provides our peace. We trust this to be true when we think about this great and glorious truth, when we read the Bible again and again, when we remember by this peace to, to bring us back to God, to bring us this peace with God. So when we remember that, it's an urge and a calling for all of us to look to Christ for peace. It's a challenge maybe for some of us. Even us who know the truth of the gospel, know the truth of Jesus, can so easily look elsewhere for peace. So really, what what do you look for for peace? What do you look for? What do you go to to kind of give yourself comfort or give that sense of well-being or completion to, your, to, to you? Do you look for other things? Do you go to other relationships? Do you look at temporary fixes? Do you get distracted by things and say, well, now this will give me at least a, a sense of peace? It can be big and small. It can be any kind of thing. We have a tendency to look elsewhere. I know my own feelings and my own faults. Uh, you probably can tell, but comfort food is my jam. But even in that, something small and inconsequential, what am I doing? I'm looking for peace and contentment, some satisfaction somewhere else himself for me. And we can all so easily do this. In our life, we look elsewhere, even good things that we should rightly celebrate and uphold. We can look towards them for that peace that only Christ can give us. So I ask you, take a moment of reflection. What do you look for or look to for peace? Do you find yourself drifting off the mark and taking your eyes off of Christ and looking somewhere else? And how and what can you do to, when you feel that or you see that happening, to redirect your gaze back upon 
our Savior. Because all that, that's all it takes is to look up from life, to look away from those things that might entice and look back upon our Christ. Because Jesus provides our peace. And Christmas, as we remember this, should be a time when we remember this peace that Christ gives us. That Christmas should be a time when we reflect upon the sending of the Son. And when we start thinking about how God loves us so much that he would send his Son to be a sense of peace. For if God has already done that, why would he not do everything else we need to make it home? Why would he not do everything else we need for life and godliness now? Would he, why would not he grant that to us? And then when we look upon this Savior who was born for us, who lived for us, who went through the cross for us, we realize that he's done everything necessary for salvation. There's nothing less for us to do except for believe in him. Look upon him with faith and we know he has done it all. And we bow down before him knowing that he has brought us peace that we cannot achieve on our own, but he has brought it for us, and so we look to him and rest in Christ. Because there's nothing more peaceful than being able to rest in the finished work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, knowing that he has done everything needed to save us. And we believe and look to him. And so this Christmas season, or this time when we think about Jesus and the peace he brings, I just ask you, are you experiencing turmoil? Look to Christ. Are you filled with anxiety about your life or things going on? Look to him. Is your life falling apart? Has it taken a left turn? Are things not going like you thought it should go? Look to Christ. Are you look to Christ in the midst of the hustle and bustle of this holiday season? Look to Christ and know the peace he gives. And we look to Christ and know that Jesus provides our peace. A peace that brings us back to God. A peace that makes us whole. A peace that he has promised to do since the beginning. That Jesus provides our peace. Let's go to him in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. For the peace that you have given us. For the love that you pour out on us again and again. Thank you so much, Lord, for this, this season that we can remember this. That we can actually remember the peace that you give. And we can remember the love that you pour out on us. Lord, I just pray for everyone here. Everyone who calls upon Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That they can truly know and be confident in this peace. That they can truly rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. That they can take a breath. And no matter what is going on in this life of, that we experience, the hardships we go through, which are real, the griefs we feel, which are real, the pain that we might be going through, the, 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 the trials at work or with family, we can look to you and your son and rest in that. Rest in the peace that you give us. Lord, I just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.